Under the surface of public discourse lurk a bunch of mysterious organisations who are major players in our public policy discussions. The former Assistant Reserve Bank Governor and Executive Director of the economic think tank Motu, Dr John McDermott. The Ministry of Justice commissioned two reports by Burrell, a consultancy advising government. The nationwide housing shortage and soaring prices are only going to get worse, according to the think tank, the New Zealand Initiative. New Zealand's migration policies might be contributing to the current poor state of national productivity. The research prepared for the Productivity Commission by the Institute for Economic Research. Think tanks straddle the line separating politics and academia. They task themselves with thinking up fresh ideas that balance what's theoretically possible with what's politically palatable. They do a whole lot more than that too. But they also exist in a sort of murky vacuum. Who funds them? What are their motivations and their agendas? And what's the difference between a bona fide think tank and a straight up lobby group? Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, NZ Herald Business Editor-at-Large Liam Dan and Helen Clark Foundation Executive Director Kathy Errington on the under-the-radar organisations whose ideas, in an ideal world, keep us moving forward. Liam Dan, welcome back to The Detail. Hi, good to be here. Um, what is a think tank? <laughs> Well, uh, it's a pretty abstract concept because there are, uh, there's no rules or stipulated description. It's something almost that gets applied by people outside. So the think tank is a, is a group of, we tend to think of them as economics, but it's public policy, I'd imagine, um, is the way to think about it, and some academic trained people, some doctors, economists, could be sociologists, all that sort of stuff, in, a, in a, an organisation which is committed one way or other, to sort of promoting public debate and discussion around public policy, you know, usually with a sort of altruistic kind of view that um, they want to make uh, the country a better place. It's a an organisation which is dedicated to sort of um, improving the country through intellectual discussion and, and, and that sort of thing and promoting that. Give me some examples of organisations that you would consider bona fide think tanks in New Zealand. Yeah, well, I, I've written about it before and organisations that I don't think mind the concept of being described as think tanks are, are like um, New Zealand Institute of Economic Research, NZIER. The Institute's Chief Executive Lawrence Kubiak says the biggest impacts will be felt by those who use the port regularly. Business and Economic Research Limited, Burl. Ganesh Nana is Chief Economist at Burl. Tanakwe, good morning to you. So those are two of the oldest think tanks in the country. They both date back to the 1950s. Uh, they're economics organisations. They have a um, business element to them in the sense that they um, will undertake research projects and that sort of thing, and so they'll do they'll do work. So it's a bit of a mixed model. So it's not a pure charitable organisation. Then something like the New Zealand Initiative. Economist Oliver Hartvish is the executive director of the New Zealand Initiative and joins me now. Hi, Oliver. Hello, how are you? Which grew up more recently as a sort of a combination out of the old business roundtable and the New Zealand Institute, which was that David Skilling organisation, which was a think tank, and that came together to form the New Zealand uh, Initiative, NZ Initiative. And that certainly um, would see itself as a think tank as well, I think. There's another economics group, Motu. And John McDermott is the executive director of Motu Economic and Public Policy Research. Which is is well-regarded economics organisation as well, which I think you know qualifies as a think tank. The organisations that fall outside the definition of think tank would be those that are specifically set up to be political, 
So maybe like your taxpayers' union. I was going to ask about yep. taxpayers' union, yeah. And also organisations which have a specific role to lobby government from a speci- you know for a specific group like the business organisations, okay. Business NZ and the Employers and Manufacturers Association. I think you know they are reasonably comfortable with the idea that they're a lobby group, even though they would argue and they they do do research and employ uh, economists and and contribute to public policy discussion. They're, they've got a more specific focus. So it is quite a nebulous concept, really. I mean, people might find the example of the taxpayers union just to be relatively uh, unpalatable, but you know, taxpayers union, Business NZ, these uh, organisations that clearly have agendas of some type but do also undertake research which is designed to encourage public discussion of ideas. They might they might say I'm being unfair. They might feel that they are a think tank. Um, I probably would see their releases coming out and think, well they're political. And then other people, you know, there is a political dimension to those largest um, think tanks I mentioned so that and I know the New Zealand Initiative, NZ Initiative, doesn't like left-right labels, mm. but you know it, it does have its roots originally in the Business Roundtable, and it it has it is a more libertarian, neoliberal type voice. It's worked, you know, it has worked with government before. It's worked with Phil Twyford on um, policy that they did on um, rezoning for housing in um, mm. in Auckland. They certainly don't see themselves as party political. And then on the flip side, you've got Burl there, which is probably the most traditionally left-wing. Again, uh, Ganesh Nana, who's until recently was the head of Burl. Ganesh Nana stepped down from active duties at Burl when he became chair of the Productivity Commission at the end of January, but he retains a shareholding in the company. They don't love this left-right labelling. Um, they see that as a bit constricting, but um, I think Burl was the most critical of the, of the neoliberal you know, economic framework. And then others like NZIER and Motu are... Are um, you know I'd say it's fairly neutral, but certainly their thinking is within that sort of monetarist, you know, uh, open free market economy type framework. So if you have to, if someone points a gun to your head and says ascribe a philosophical ideology yeah. to these groups, he could do so. But yeah, I suppose that sort of matches their role. These are ideas that think tanks come up with. They come up with ideas. Yeah, and they're all trying to point forward and think think about the future. And and and, and I think they all find the the traditional left right um, uh, rules or spectrum uh, to be a bit limiting. And I, and I, that that's fair enough. But yeah, as you say, if you if you put a gun to my head and said which one's left and which one's right, well, that's you know bills to the left and and, and NZ initiatives to the right uh, in the old school way of thinking. Mm, okay. Why would you become a think tank rather than just being a person who has ideas? Well, I think there's a, there's a structure there to have some, have some influence. So they have some funding, and that funding gives them some freedom to undertake some research that might not be getting done elsewhere. It might not be uh, getting done academically because of various reasons, money or whatever. Um, so they're able to, to do um, missions to other countries. They've done, you know, gone up to Switzerland. We're talking here about the NZ Initiative in Israel and a few other places to see how things are going there in quite specific areas. I think in Switzerland they went up and looked at local government and how it works and came back with a big set of policy uh, initiatives around what could happen with local government in New Zealand. I don't think any of our major parties have been um, uh, relaxed enough to talk about decentralising local uh, government to Swiss levels. To, to Swiss levels. <laughs> but I know Oliver thinks of that as a process, so he, he's not disheartened by that. You've got to get these things out into the into the arena, get them discussed, and um, over time, you know, they, they, they take 
a long long view of this, and I think these organisations tend to, they're not trying to necessarily influence the government to, uh, as to its policy um, later this year or whatever. They're thinking about where we'll be as a nation 10 years from now. You mentioned funding. How are think tanks funded normally? Is there a normally? Not, not exactly. No, there's no rules. You can be a charitable organisation. You can have a membership model. Some of them are what I'd say is a mixed model. So they're they're undertaking some private research work. Uh, so the NZIER does that and um, will act. So at, at that level, it's like an economics consultancy. So at one end, you know, you've got your lobby groups. At the other end, you've got your commercial organisations like the banks and the economic consultancies. And then sort of in the middle, uh, to varying degrees, you have these think tanks operating semi-commercially. You've talked a little bit about the lack of regulation around think tanks in New Zealand. Are there any? Um not that I'm aware of, particularly other than the usual rules of, you know, uh, commercial organisations and, and charitable, you know, if they hit a chari- if they're like Motu and they hit a charitable uh, status, then it's got to be, um, you know, uh, got to hit those rules. Um, yeah, I, I guess, look, it's all about transparency, isn't it? I mean, you know, if so NZ Initiative has members who, who pay uh, a reasonable chunk. Last time I looked, it was a few years ago, it was about $45,000 a year mm-hmm. to be members. That organisation, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's very open in its perspective um, in, in, in the kind of work it does. I know there was a bit of controversy. I think there was uh, Wellington Council was paying to be a member and that caused some fuss and things. But, um, you know... Um, you are helping to fund an organisation that will do a certain kind of economic research. I guess occasionally there is a little bit of controversy around, um, you know, some of them, Burl and NZIER do do research for groups, and, and, and like NZIER did a really, uh, I thought, really good piece of work on the cannabis economy and what that would be worth. You know, you could argue that there's there's obviously a political dimension to that. You're trusting the organisations, I guess, to... You know, and we do that a bit in New Zealand. We mm. do it with the uh, media organisations, and and um, you know, we're, we're trusting people to be um, open and upfront. M- my experience is that they are, you know, fairly transparent, and maybe that's my perspective as someone who knows and pays a lot of attention to them. Mm. Uh, so I, I feel comfortable with all the, the think tanks I deal with. If they weren't there, if we just had the um, purely commercial economists and the academics, there'd be a huge gap because the academics. Uh, Lovely people, but often uh, are writing at such a level that it doesn't. Uh, you know, even as an economics writer, I'm baffled by some of the stuff coming out of, out of the universities because it's, you know, it is what it is. It's highly intellectual, and then you know you've got the the, the bank economists saying um, very reactive. This is what's going to happen to the dollar, or this is what's happening to interest rates, <clears throat> and not always. You know, they do do some good. Uh, bigger reports, but that uh, longer term thinking is an important role that, that these guys uh, play. Um, and uh, you know, it doesn't bother me. I, I think again, we're, we're pretty well served across that sort of uh, a political spectrum that kind of reflects New, the New Zealand public uh, there. So, you know, and that that's important. Um, it, it is important to sort of um, have some context around that when you're engaging with them. But at the same time, they're all, in my experience, very genuine people, good people who all want New Zealand to be a better place, and you know, a wealthier place, for want of a better word, a place with uh, high levels of well-being, even though I know um, my friends at the New Zealand Initiative aren't, aren't huge fans <laughs> of the, the well-being concept. But, but generally, they want to see a wealthier New Zealand and less poverty and all those things. You know, it's, it's, um, they just have different perspectives on, on how you might achieve mm. that. 
The Helen Clark Foundation is one of New Zealand's newest think tanks. Uh, it was set up in 2019. Kathy Errington is its executive director. So the Helen Clark Foundation is a public policy think tank. Uh, we're hosted by AUT, but we're funded independently. So we publish public policy research on a whole range of topics, from drug policy law reform to things like loneliness, uh, climate change, new next generation energy, all kinds of things. Uh, we, we publish public policy research really across the spectrum, and we make it all freely available on our website. How do you decide what to do a piece of research on? It's a good question. We, it's. I really see it as a as a mix. There are some issues where we want to put them on the agenda. Uh, we want to try and make some noise about an issue where we think there's a real disconnect between what experts think uh, is the right policy and, and what is politically possible. Cannabis law reform uh, would be one of those. If we do our job well, I think that's the role a think tank can play. It can be a transmission belt between academia and politics. And there's all kinds of ways that that's necessary. I mean, a lot of academic research is very hard to access. It's extremely expensive. If you want to read a journal article, it will cost you about $30 just to read one article mm. a lot of the time. Um, so a lot of academic research isn't accessible. Um, there's also the, I guess, professional structure of academia, and academics are not really rewarded for doing media work. Um, and so, you know, those academics who came and talked to you, professionally, there's no incentive for them to do that. They're rewarded to publish research. Uh, but it's a very important role to, to communicate research to the public. Uh, and so I think think tanks have have a role to play there, uh, turning academic research into more digestible sort of snapshots uh, and proposing some provocative and interesting conclusions on the basis of that research. You report into New Zealand's shortage of affordable housing calls for debt-to-income limits for high-income households and a capital gains tax. The study says a decades-long boom in property investment has driven up housing and land prices at the expense of families and people's basic need for shelter. Dr Jenny MacArthur wrote the report for the Helen Clark Foundation and is in our Published today by the Helen Clark Foundation and WSJ says that the COVID-19 lockdown exacerbated the risks of loneliness in New Zealand. The report recommends supporting communities... ...to decriminalise cannabis despite the bid to push forward legislation narrowly failing last year. A new poll which surveyed 1,000 New Zealanders who voted in the referendum shows about two-thirds want the drug legalised or decriminalised. The poll was conducted by the market research firm UMR for the Helen Clark Foundation. We're obviously, of course, still new. We only launched in 2019. But, but yeah, we'd like to be seen as a constructive partner both by academia and by policymakers. What is the process for setting up a think tank? So it's a new, it's a bit of a new idea in New Zealand. Yeah. I don't, we haven't really had a think tank culture. If you look at somewhere like the United States, there's a very structural role for think tanks, and I think part of that is the the way their public service works. Each time you change the administration, you know, several layers of the public service get fired, and those people typically go out and work at think tanks. One of the key things is funding. Uh, we're very fortunate that um, uh, yeah, Helen Clark and Peter Davis put some seed funding in to. Uh, to get the foundation off the ground, uh, specifically really to, to hire me, uh, and then we needed to to raise money from from there to to grow, and we've been able to do that. We have a partnership with a private sector partner, WSP. WSP is an engineering consultancy firm, and they support our WSP fellow uh, and our deputy director Holly Walker. She does. She's our program chair, really, for all our work around sustainable cities, uh, and we're really. It's it, it's it's been a great partnership, really. We've been able to draw on their 
design expertise and their private sector expertise. And Holly brings a lot of political. She was a former member of parliament, as, as you may know, mm-hmm. uh, and former Rhodes Scholar. So she she brings a lot of uh, research and political acumen in, into the picture, and we can co- combine combine that and produce uh, impactful public policy research. We are very new. We're still finding our way because it is a new area for New Zealand. But I do think. There is a role for something to be in the middle there. You've mm-hmm. got, you know, the media produce a lot of content very quickly, uh, but it's often not in-depth researched enough for policymakers to just pick up and use. And academics produce a lot of very in-depth work that often takes a long time. It can take years and then can be quite hard to access. So we're, we're in that middle space, mm. uh, joining up the dots. You describe yourselves as a non-partisan foundation, a non-partisan think tank. What does that mean? So we have no formal relationship with any political party. Uh, we don't get government funding. Um, and that it, it, there are think tanks around the world that uh, have formal relationships to political parties. So I don't think it's by default how all think tanks work, but it's how we work. Uh, we do. We, we have a set of values, um, are the values that motivated Helen Clark's career in public service, so inclusivity, fairness and sustainability. Um, we, when we sat down and talked about starting the organisation, those were the, the values we started with. Um, but we have no formal relationship with the Labour Party or the Green Party or any political party at all. We are, are independent, so when we say things, we're saying it because those are the conclusions we have reached. Is the name a challenge in that aspect? And that you know, I mean, using the cannabis example, you do a great piece of research and it maintains its integrity. It's academically rigorous. You write up a press release. The morning radio or TV shows get this press release. They read it out. The Helen Clark Foundation says it's time to legalise cannabis. But of course, they would say that because they're the Helen Clark Foundation. You know what I mean? So we have the name of a living politician attached. Uh, that's impossible to miss. Um, and the. It was something we talked about starting the organisation. I think it is overwhelmingly a positive thing. Uh, We can leverage Helen's enormous profile uh, and her social media presence, uh, and it's it's overwhelmingly a positive thing. But like any living politician, um, there were people who who would have had disagreements with with her in her time in politics, uh, who therefore sort of disregard Mm. anything our organisation might say. There's not much we can do about that, but I think it is overwhelmingly a positive thing. I mean, you say, I'm not sure that we could do much about that. You could have called yourself some generic, boring kind of name, you know, the Institute for All New Zealanders, IFANS. And who knows in future what what will happen. But at this point, I think this is a new kind of initiative for New Zealand. And I think having a former leader like Helen Clark, who then went on to to a very prominent international career, of course, at the UN, and and still now with reviewing the World Health Organization and the response to COVID-19, I think having a former leader come back and start a a contribution like this to public debate going forward. I think that's a really good thing. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows in the world of think tanks. Not if you look internationally anyway. The Irish journalist Peter Geergan spoke to RNZ last year about his book, Democracy for Sale, Dark Money and Dirty Politics. And in the book... Gergen goes into forensic detail about grand-sounding organisations in the UK, the Institute of Economic Affairs and the Centre for Policy Studies, very few of which declare where their funding comes from. He told Media Watch's Colin Peacock that think tanks had become a way for lobby groups to buy a sort of mainstream media legitimacy. 
if you gave a think tank, you know, £100,000, they'll write a few reports for you. Like, it's not huge sums in, the gra- in British politics, but a lot of these kind of funders want to see their message not just on social media, they also want to see it on traditional broadcast media. Cathy Errington earlier mentioned her foundation had a relationship with health coalition Aotearoa. Now, presumably, this coalition has its own views on how things should work in the health sector. So when the foundation is writing a report about the health sector, how much does this relationship influence that report? So I think a key part of that is being transparent. That's why we we tell, you can see on our website who our partners are and how we're funded. Uh, So people can draw their own conclusions from that. Uh, We we are fundamentally independent. We have final sign-off on all our research outputs. So it, it doesn't... Uh, the research isn't pre-cooked in any way, but we, we're transparent who our partners are about what our values are. So I would say while I want our research to be in-depth and well done, I, I don't see it as the conclusions of that research should be neutral. I don't think there that's possible. I, I, I want it to be policy conclusions that build on our values and try and progress them. So I, th- I think the best way is just to be upfront. Uh, people can see on our website where we get our funding from. Um, so it's members, donations, uh, philanthropic funding, and both and private sector partners and, and groups like the Health Coalition Aotearoa. Someone might say, you know, that places a good deal of responsibility on the reader to do their research into the think tank and figure out what influences might be at at play there. The quality of the work matters a lot in the end, to yeah. my mind. I think the um, I, I think people are welcome to disagree with our conclusions that we come to on the basis of our research, but the research itself really holds up to scrutiny. Do you think that there is room for more specific regulation around it, or is that would that be sort of jumping into an area that doesn't really need? You know, it's not a broken area. It's not causing any problems and therefore it doesn't need a solution because there isn't anything to solve. Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a um gotta be a freedom of discussion and ideas, so I wouldn't like to see um much much in the way of regulation there. I mean I guess I can see the why you wanna be um transparent around lobbying groups and money coming into lobby groups and things like that. Um yeah, there needs to be some transparency, but it, it, it's really about where does their work end up. And if it's if the work is being published for people just to read and debate, then uh, you know that that should be free and open. I think. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air, and brought to you by Newsroom.co.nz. In the interest of full disclosure, Newsroom has a relationship with the NZ Initiative. They supply us with weekly opinion columns. These are clearly labelled. You can get the detail downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poek and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Kathy Errington and Liam Dan. Kaki te ano.